And welcome to Punk Theology. My name is Russ Shaw, your host. Today, preservation. We all do it. We all use it, right? We're going to preserve a, a jam, maybe, right? Preserve some strawberries as a way to make jam or salt some meat, make some beef jerky. But when those things go bad, when the preservation becomes leathery or you meet that person or that family member and they're like, hey, this is the first time I made jam, so here we go. <laughs> and it's like, oh, it's like eating paste you know that paste you would get like in grade school and then you would goop some on your hand and then you'd peel it off like it was your skin did you ever do that am i dating myself you get what i'm saying though right maybe that's how those like fruit roll-ups were invented somebody ruined a batch of jam and then somebody else said hey if we threw a bunch more sugar in this maybe we could sell it <laughs> right and then you have what we have today and i know you're sitting there thinking i feel a metaphor coming on <laughs> sure enough you got me um what happens when the sweet, salty beef jerky turns into an old shoe when it comes to our systems and institutions that are there to protect and nurture, right, and grow people to um, help people flourish and thrive? When when does that thing happen where it's no longer uh, taste and see how good this is to when it becomes like road salt that you're throwing out in the street, right? We get into it here on Punk Theology, and we're so glad you're listening. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to go a step further and uh, help with the mission, right? Uh, the mission, that word. Could you leave a review of this podcast if you enjoy it, right? Give us a five-star rating on Stitcher Radio, uh, iTunes. iTunes would be great. It helps with where people find us, whether actually someone else may hear this thing. Could depend on you, the listener. So, yeah, if you'd like to aid and abed us fugitives from the law, right? Uh, it's a whole nother show right there. So yeah, go on ahead and be an accomplice. Leave a review, man. Again, that would be awesome. You could become a punk patron saint, right? Uh, Patreon is uh, what we're using to raise some money. There's also a PayPal link if you'd like to give on PayPal. See what I did there? Helps pay the bills. Keep this thing uh, rolling down the highway as the old punk rock van that it is with punktheology.com scribblings on the wall punktheology.com i just put a blog post up as well uh, my first little uh writing project so you can check that out it's only about four and a half pages long or so uh and it has to do with punks pharisees and statements derek will have a uh blog post up soon it has a few already check it out uh we call it punks writing stuff no we it's the punkington post i don't know we're still we're still brainstorming what to call it uh punks punkagenics post i don't know 
uh, throw out, we're open to suggestions. Punktheology.com. Come check us out. Send us an email. You can email. There's a link right there on the website. To send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. We'll read that stuff on the show. I'll shut up. students come to me with existential questions they wanted to know like you know how can you believe how can you be a scientist and also a christian and also a jew like how do you put those things (laughs) how do you put those things together what do you think about evolution i'm like well these kids are coming with these moral dilemmas they're honestly trying to figure out where that line is for them and what they believe and and starting to construct their own um, moral code, I guess. Postmodern. Yeah, yeah something, yeah. you know, that's not their parents, that's not their peers. It's, well, it's, they're in middle school, so it is their peers. But, <laughs> you know, they're, they're trying to, to come up with this, this moral construct, and they're coming to me with a question, and I'd love to be able to say, you know, here's... Here are some different ideas. Look at all of these different lines. Where do you see yourself in relation to these different lines? What do you see on the other side of those lines? You know, which which direction do you feel like is the right way for you to go? You know, talking about the idea, these are all theories. They all have different sets of evidence behind them, but they're all theories. You get to decide which way you want to go with it. And it's, you know, it's frustrating to be limited in that capacity to know that if I say the wrong thing, I will no longer be in a position of influence for these kids. I will no longer be able to answer those questions. Right. So I won't be here for them to come to me. But maybe that's the a good answer is to say, hey, here's some choices. You know, here's some roads. Because I think that maybe that's something in us as human beings. Like, like John and I were talking about. Like everyone was attracted to Driscoll because he was so confident. Yeah. He just stood up there with a vein popping out of his head going, this is the way we're going, you know. This is what Jesus said, and this is how we're supposed Wait, to I don't live. know what I'm doing. That sounds good. Yeah, that <laughs> sounds good. Let's just follow what he He knows doing. what he's talking about. Yeah. But maybe that's more of an honest thing. And, yeah, you got the kind of this institution standing over you saying you can't pick sides. But that's that's a really cool way to lovingly kind of, hey, here, here these are the options. Mm-hmm. Well, Choose- systems and institutions don't usually invite rocking the boat no they don't by their nature yeah, because, exactly. because preservation because preservation, preservation. Yeah, preservation. And, you know it's not just wasps that are focused on preservation I think all fundamentalist religious groups I mean if you look at Orthodox Judaism for example you know they've done things exactly the same way for thousands of years I mean if you want to talk about preservation there's some serious mm. preservation happening there. And when you look at, you know, Orthodox Judaism versus Reform Judaism, I mean, they don't even agree that they're necessarily the same faith uh, because they're coming at it from such different places. What you gonna do when they show up in black suits On your street and I'll make boots And then silence you What you gonna say when they strip your rights away
So, Derek, what what are we? What is this? Uh, you have this brainstorm. This is you. you I'm going to tee it up for you. I'll hold the ball. You punt. Misha's filling in. Okay. We should Misha's say Misha's filling in. Misha's Steve. Yeah, Misha's filling in for Steve and Arthur, who were not present during this. Because uh, it only takes one woman to fill in for two men. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, the rest of you can just go home. I'll take care. <laughs> go for Good luck. It. <laughs> there you go. Preservation. Yes. So, so this is something that I've been in. You're an environmentalist because you work for the county. So, is, what are you talking about? Like what? Like well, I, that'll actually come up. So water like, foul. That was or, a nice tea there, right? Yeah, Russ, thank you. Okay. Hey. So, uh, <laughs> what's that, Chuck? Water foul tastes really good. <laughs> when you put them <laughs> on the barbecue, that's why we need uh. to uh, preserve their environment so there's more of them. No, develop that shit. <laughs> <laughs> Costco. Chuck and I are on the opposite ends of the development spectrum. Unfortunately, I'm on the correct end of the <laughs> The correct end by in terms of making money, but <laughs> um, going liberal conservative right here. It's like Trump versus anybody else. Is Trump a conservative? Anyways, um, so uh, so this came up because I've been reading a lot of Hegel. Who is one of the greatest German names ever? Georg Wilhelm. No, Georg Wilhelm Friedrich Hegel. 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 So this guy's a philosopher. Yes, yeah, he's a great philosopher. Actually, he's right. he's really not very well known, but uh, he's kind of credited for a lot of other more modern philosophers basically ripping him off and stealing a lot of stuff. Um, and he talks a lot about. We're at least crediting him at the beginning here, right? Yes, <laughs> we're at least saying we're not going to steal his shit. Off. So and you should. I mean, his stuff is. I mean, part of the reason that he's less known is because his stuff is actually really hard to read. So I've been reading summaries of Hegel, um, which is much more helpful. Uh, <laughs> um, but he talks a lot about consciousness, and one of the things that I've read. Really yeah, consciousness. I read about half of what you shared. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what do you think? Of and uh, it's dense, but it's really it's dense. Good. But yeah, it's one of those things. I, I actually listen to it, so I use my iPhone. Okay. I can listen to text while I drive, and. Uh, yeah, it's one of those things you'd have to read a couple of times. So. Right, yeah, I had to sit there and kind of okay. digest a couple of times because yeah, it was really yeah, dense. Yeah. But, uh, but one of the things that I engaged, that I've been kind of engaging for uh, the last couple of weeks, it came out of a conversation I had with my grandfather, um, is this thing Your grandfather's still alive? Yes. No, nice. That's cool. We're not props. Really dirty. In the rest I'm of 49. I'm not a boomer, by the way. Where did that come I'm a, I'm a Gen Xer. I'm a, you're a Gen Xer. I'm a Gen Xer. We're 10 years apart. So I'm, yeah, it's I'm true. A, you're a boom Xer. I'm a boom Xer. <laughs> I miss my grandpa. I want to be boomer. That's cool. yeah. you talk to your grandpa. Excellent. Okay, so you're talking to grandpa about Hegel. Yes. So the no. sperm hadn't dried yet. I'm on. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Thanks, Russ. You want to talk about Tide next? <laughs> um, we have this drinking game. That anytime Russ mentions ejaculate, we take a shot. We... Anyway, <laughs> we're out of shots. <laughs> Break out the sky. Um, so, uh, one of the things that Hegel is well known for is his master-slave or master-servant yeah. uh, paradigm, uh, and the idea of the master class and the servant class, and both of them are actually, in many ways, indentured to each other. But the master class doesn't tend to think about it that much, and the and they both have their their gods. And the, one of the gods of the servant class is the master class. And that really their goal ultimately is to be within the master class. And so that's kind of the ultimate goal that they tend to be shooting for. They want to move up. Right. They yeah, want to yeah. move up and be the masters. Um, but the master's god is preservation. 
because the masters have reached the pinnacle and all they have left is to preserve what they have so they have the money they have the influence they have you know everything that they they dreamed of they have all these servants uh, serving them and their god is preservation the problem is preservation cannot exist with creativity so John has brought this up a number of times. Like, why is it that artists get successful and all of a sudden, you know, their creativity just seems to dry up? Like, they're, the stuff that they used to produce is just shit now. Like, like it's just, just not good. They seem to have lost it. And some artists. Right, some artists. Yeah. So, and, and I think a lot of that is because they get into this realm of preservation. Mm. And the thing, and preservation, you cannot be creative because creative creativity... Uh, needs to have one risk, which is totally contrary to preservation. Mm-hmm. You cannot preserve something and, and have something be risky. Um, and then the other thing that it needs is, is basically something new, right? Mm. Like some some new idea or taking an old idea and adjusting it to a new idea or, or having a new application for something. Um, so you need the freedom to, uh, to do something new and take a risk. Mm-hmm. And the servant class is able to do that because their only goal is really to become the master class. And the, the way they do become the master class is through creativity and through trying new things and through taking risks. Because risks are easy for them. They don't have anything to preserve. Right? <coughs> well, so not necessarily. Of, you take me, for example. I'm building a, a company, kind of, right? And uh, kind of... Um, and, and I have to sacrifice hours of my day, right. which I could spend paying more bills or, you know, the, those hours uh, are a sacrifice. And, and I'm late on bills. I've got a couple of different but, collections agencies after me. I could work my ass off and pay that shit and work tw- 10, 12 hours a day. But I'm not. I'm, I'm consciously choosing to uh, invest in this over here. As a way to break out of the slave classes, but what you're describing isn't indicative of the master class. It's it's yeah. It's, but the master, if, if I'm reading uh, Hegel, Hegel, if I'm understanding, I guess maybe I'm arguing with his thinking a little bit. You're you're actually describing the slave class, right? Because the servant class, the servant class, because you you want to get oh, okay. Yeah, you're using creativity <coughs> to try and create something um, that will. Hopefully, get you to a place of either more stability or you can more take risk. risk. Not, right. not, not but the problem risk. is, what happens when you get there? Um, and 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 I encountered this the other day with a with a friend of mine who um, who is a worship leader and went to this um, to this convention on being creative in you know Christianity and and I explained to him, you can't be creative in conservative Christianity. It won't let you because conservative Christianity <laughs> is all about preservation yeah. Yeah. Yes, and no risk. You are not okay. You can be as creative as you want, but don't take any risks and don't do anything new. Good luck. Right? Like you cannot be creative. You can only dredge up the same old shit. You have a little more reverb on the guitar, right? Maybe, right. But right. That's about yeah. it. Right. Yeah. So you know, it's just always ten years problem. behind too. Like. They finally brought rock and roll in, like, like the right. '90s, in some of the churches. And that right? is the problem <laughs> with with the music that I grew up with, conservative Christian music. Like the best stuff was the stuff that they successfully ripped off the people that were actually being creative, and that was as good as they got. And there was no room whatsoever 
for them to be genuinely creative because they had to conform to this idea of preservation. And the other thing about interesting thing about preservation is who are the people that are preserving things? Another word for preservation is conservation. Hmm. So conservative people. And who are the people in our society that are most focused on preservation because they've made it to a position where they're comfortable? White, white nationalists. White, <laughs> male, yeah. older, mm-hmm. um, pros- uh, Protestant. Like wow. that Lost. is Lost the <laughs> establishment. And they are, so the reason, <clears throat> so that is where the dissonance all comes up. Is right. and, and the reason that these people are so like you can, you know, hit them all. You can hit them with facts. You can hit them with reason. You can hit them with emotion. You can hit them with like, like, like this person is suffering in your face. But all they care about is preservation, and they can't. Not only do they not want to see it, I don't even know that they can see it, right? Because they lack the tools necessary, um, uh, and, and subconsciously. They're just focused on trying to preserve what they have. What was your friend's response to your challenge or your observation? Uh, We're not friends anymore. (laughs) No, I'm sorry. I think it blew him away a little bit. I think he was like, yeah, you're right. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. And I said to him, this is a little bit weird for me to I mean, probably edgy for me to say to him. But I said to him, the only way for you to be creative right now is to take this preservation bullshit in the church and wag it in their face. That mm. would be genuinely creative, which yeah. is kind of what we're trying to do with this podcast, mm-hmm. is say, um, you guys are so focused on preservation that we can't be creative. Here's a creative idea. How about I take that and I shit all over it? <laughs> <laughs> and I shove it in your face and make you smell it. Like, that would be creative. And that's really the only place that we can go right now in Christianity to actually move forward in a place of creativity. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it's kind of like I, I got to think about that because I don't know if it. I, 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 that's an over. That's an overstatement. Yeah. I don't think that's the only place to go, but that is definitely one. Of and the I think one people. of the drives of this podcast, at least in my, you know, my heart for this project, is to get to a place. Again, I'm going to keep saying this: crossing that difference divide. Like you're right. The, what you just showed is the boundary line that you were explaining to this cat. Okay, here's the boundary line, and. Do you got the balls to cross it? And how can you creatively do that in a way that's that's crossing that difference divide? That's mm-hmm. getting the other to like diplomacy. You see this in politics. Mm-hmm. And politics is really about policy. I had a friend who was like, Oh, I don't really like politics, man. It's like, do you do you drive on roads? <laughs> you know? Do you do you turn <laughs> on the water and fucking the faucet? Like it's like chronological snobbery, right? When, when when somebody's trying to break into my house at three o'clock in the morning, I can pick up the phone and there's a whole shit ton of policy that comes down to make that a reality. So to say you don't believe in politics makes you I don't know, in my mind that's that's a silly thing to say. Diplomacy's pretty important. Yeah, so the, the way that all that shit got done, though, and that's what we call ourselves progressives in the Christian realm, is that we would consider this a progressive movement because we're progressing in the way to where, you know what, slavery isn't a thing anymore, right? We don't do that anymore. Well, the Bible, you know, says that, you know, Jesus doesn't condone slavery. Yeah, but you and I do. So we've progressed as a culture. And I guess I, my thing is, is how do we get that cat instead of saying... And I, and I feel your heart for it because that's kind of my punk rock. It's inside me to go, yeah, just shit all over it, man. But at the same time, 
I don't know how right. you do that without offending people. How do you do that without just totally upsetting the apple cart? Well, where my heart goes and with drawing lines and building walls with, with, with a worship leader or with and, you know, we talked about this some before, where you start to become aware that there's there's clergy, there's pastors in that system that have bought into a system, that have bought into a construct, and their livelihood depends on it. Yeah. And their views start to change. They start to evolve. But their livelihood, they have families, they have bills. That's real. Yeah, it is. And it's like, I can't go there. I got bills to pay. I got to yeah. toe the party line. And that's what happens sometimes with what I think Derek's describing a little bit with, with that self-preservation that comes in. Right. You can't take a risk because... You got bills, and there's yeah. a system in place. Yeah. That's that can hard. cause that can cause a lot of inner turmoil for sure. Oh yeah, um, I remember cool. when I was when I was teaching. So I taught um, middle school science, and I'd often have students come to me with existential questions. They wanted to know, <laughs> like, you know, how can you believe? How can you be a scientist and also a Christian and also a Jew? Like, how do you put those things? <laughs> right. How do you put those things together? What do you think about evolution? I'm like, well, you know, it's not part of the curriculum, so we can't talk about it. Evolution's not part of the curriculum. <laughs> not part of the eighth grade physics curriculum. No. Oh, physics. <laughs> okay. So you know, <laughs> And it's one of those things where it's like, according to, you know, according to this, the school district policies and, and the, you know, the education system that we have set up, I'm not allowed to talk about those things with you from a, you know, this is, these are the facts, this, this is, you know, I can say this is my opinion until my face is blue, but it, it has to be on my own time. Right. Like it's not something we can address. And that's, you know, I understand that, and that's all well and good, but at the same time, these kids are coming with these moral dilemmas. They're honestly trying to figure out where that line is for them and what yeah. they believe and and starting to construct their own um, moral code, I guess. Postmodern. Yeah, yeah something, yeah. you know, that's not their parents, that's not their peers. It's, well, it's, they're in middle school, so it is their peers. But, <laughs> you know, they're, they're trying to, to come up with this, this moral construct and they're coming to me with a question, and I'd love to be able to say, you know, here's here are some different ideas. Look at all of these different lines. Where do you see yourself in relation to these different lines? What do you see on the other side of those lines? You know, which which direction do you feel like is the right way for you to go? Yeah. And, you know, talking about the idea, these are all theories. They all have different sets of evidence behind them, but they're all theories. You get to decide which way you want to go with it. And it's, you know, it's frustrating to be limited in that capacity to know that if I say the wrong thing, I will no longer be in a position of influence for these kids. I will no longer be able to answer those questions. Right. No, I won't be here for them to come to me. But maybe that's the, a good answer is to say, hey, here's some choices. You know, here's some roads. Because I think that maybe that's something in us as human beings. Like, like John and I were talking about. Like everyone was attracted to Driscoll because he was so confident. Yeah. He just stood up there with a vein popping out of his head going, this is the way we're going, you know. This is what Jesus said, and this is how we're supposed like, to I don't live. know what I'm doing. That sounds good. Yeah, that <laughs> sounds good. Let's just follow what he's He knows doing. what he's talking about. Yeah. But maybe that's more of an honest thing. And, yeah, you got the kind of this institution standing over you saying you can't pick sides. But that's, that's a really cool way to maybe – Lovingly, kind of. Hey, here, here, these are the options. Well, Choose. systems and institutions don't usually invite rocking the boat. No, they don't. Just by their nature, yeah, because, exactly. Because preservation. Because preservation. You know, it's not just wasps that are focused on preservation. I think all fundamentalist religious groups. I mean, if you look at Orthodox Judaism, for example, you know they've done things exactly the same way for thousands of years. I mean, if you want to talk about preservation. 
there's some serious mm. preservation happening there. And when you look at, you know, Orthodox Judaism versus Reform Judaism, I mean, they don't even agree that they're necessarily the same faith um, because they're coming at it from such different places and different um, different creativity right. elements, I guess. It's like Orthodoxy and Mormonism and Well, same is true with Orthodox. I mean, Orthodox Catholic, Christianity Roman Catholic. would kind of take a, a mystery view about salvation and you know they almost wouldn't comment about it too much or want to talk about it too much but they would say that it is the incarnational church through apostolic succession and just making that claim i mean it's as matter of fact as george washington was the first president of the united states it's that you you have apostolic succession that's there i mean you can actually point to it throughout history and that's kind of their claim to that historical uh, lineage of, of legitimacy of you know a, an incarnational church big C um, but the little C church uh, they don't you know I, I think the what's the phrase they they use we, we know where the church is but we don't know where it's not they use a double negative but they kind right. of embrace mystery like there's going to be more than orthodox Christians in heaven you know but we don't know who that is so we don't even talk about it that much. <laughs> right. it's a we're not going to call balls and strikes on that one but but by so so that's an interesting thing and it, you know coincides with what Misha's talking about with orthodox Judaism same is true with orthodox Christianity Eastern Orthodox Christianity is a lot of people I know I'm drawn to it because of that rootedness because of that historical context because of that thing that doesn't change or vacillate through the whims of some guy who has some hey I got this great idea let's go here and you know it, it's not beholden to some guy's interpretation of whatever yeah. it's rooted in a lot of history and a lot of tradition and that gives a lot of people comfort sometimes i want to tear my hair out and i don't even have any but but it drives me <laughs> nuts because it's like just get over this or that whatever postmodern issue i tend to struggle with that they won't budge on maybe they will in a hundred years but the boat moves slowly and it's designed to move slowly and it moves faster in an evangelical system for sure because you guys at least have electric guitars. See, I kind of like the fact that my church doesn't have electric guitars. But 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 if, if that's what you want or a worship leader wants to do some kind of experimental thing or be creative, yeah, I mean, in general, I mean, to, to bring it back home, in general, systems, institutions, be them, whether or not they're ancient or, or fairly new. Right. So what is the benefit? Specifically in orthodoxy of being a preservationist like that. What, what do people get out of it? Just comfort in the roots and the tradition and the history and kind of like the unwaveringness. So is it nostalgia? None, I don't think it's as much a nostalgia as it is um, feeling like here's, here's an arena in which I can be successful because I know exactly what's expected of me and I know how to meet those expectations. Simple. Could it be a portion of what we were talking about in the last podcast as far as the first stagers and second stagers? One critique I, I really, at the time, <laughs> sort of embraced when I was exploring Eastern Orthodoxy is if you're a Protestant, a Protestant or Evangelical, and I'm not trying to shit on that, but it's like... But I, I did see it from my own experience is that um, by and large, Protestantism, evangelicalism is make it up as you go along Christianity without any ties to history or tradition. Your church that you go to might have some loose denominational ties. It tops. It's, it's 100 years old, maybe two tops. It's 100. Right. But but, you know, you grew up in that church. That's all you know. It's the way it's always been. And then it's like, oh, wait, these guys like all wear black and they wear robes and vestments and there's smells and bells. That's kind of weird. Well, yeah, so if you went back to like, 
you know, the third, fourth century, you think it was some guy in skinny jeans with an electric guitar? I mean, <laughs> why is that good that it's been the same? Why is it different? Yeah. Because uh, there's liberal and there's conservative. I'm orthodox. not saying good or bad. And they'll wear the I, same clothes I, I, and they'll do the no, same thing. No, not good or bad. What's the benefit, I guess? Yeah. Well, again, there's just that comfort in, in tradition, in history, in that it, it's not wavering. It, um, it, it's, so is it, it just a comfort thing? It's rooted. It, it, it's rooted. You trust it more. Do it, John trusts it more? So I feel like it has roots, that, the deep roots, but, going, hey. extending back to the first millennium. In uh, or the first century, I mean, going back to the first century, it has historical roots. It's ancient. It's dirty. It's it's um, it's beautiful. It, it's it, it's not just hey, this is Pastor Bob, and this is his vision for the church. This is what he's preaching because God speaks to him, and he's gonna. If you go to an Orthodox liturgy, every we're on a liturgical calendar. It's the same liturgy. It's the same liturgy that's been done for centuries. But at the same time, even though they they follow the same liturgy and the same traditions, <clears throat> I can same... I can pull up a a, a a a priest from the Orthodox Church who's very conservative, and I can go on the other side and pull up an Orthodox priest who's very liberal, and their views on some of the same texts, right, and the Bible or whatever, you know, saint said what. They'll have totally different worldviews and totally different ways of seeing things. Actually, so the, does the tradition change really how they think and how they feel and how they're actually their flock? You know, I'll, so I, I would say they have the same. They have the same influence. They just they just dress it differently. I'll be just, honest and say I, I wish that actually Orthodoxy had more of a liberal wing than it does. I think you have more of that liberal wing within Catholicism than you do within the Eastern Church. At least what I've observed, right. but. But but just to go with your question, um, what makes them what unites them is their practice, right. is their liturgy. That's what unites them. That's the glue that holds them together. Is we might have differing views, but we worship the same. But isn't the liturgy still like stage one? Like isn't it like who gives a fuck? Like I don't, I don't. I mean that's just me. I I don't give I, a shit. <laughs> like, I don't know why it doesn't. Like it stirs your affections and that's cool. Time. But for me, I I go in there. I'm like. Eh, it's just another thing. I struggle with it's it. It's an old thing. It's cool that it's an old thing, but it's just... I tend to struggle with both Orthodox Christianity and Judaism for the same reason in that I'm a rationalist. And there's a lot of, well, just do it because we've always done it this way. And everything inside of me screams, fuck that. If I don't understand it, I'm not doing it. Um, so it's easier to understand. Kind yeah, of. I, I mean, I kind of get that a little bit. I guess for me it boils down to this... This desire to connect to history, to tradition, to roots. Just the fact that, I mean, if I go, the liturgy I go to on Sunday, if I went in a time machine 500 years ago, somewhere in the Mediterranean, they're doing the same liturgy on the same liturgical calendar. I take some comfort in that. I take some comfort in that connection. So that doesn't comfort me at all. No, it's not. But I want to dig into that. Like, why? Would you find that comfortable, and I not find that comfortable? Because I don't, because I I don't have any interest in just the whims of some of Pastor Joe up there. But how do you know that this wasn't built on the whims of what's his about Pastor Joe out century one? Uh, because you have the apostles and apostolic succession. Well, what about like a, like a, the Vespa or something like that? Right? There's like there's like a, a robe that they wear that costs them like ten thousand dollars or some no. crazy amount of money. Like there's a lot of most a lot orthodox resources and most stuff. orthodox priests have decorative vestments that their wives have made for them or something. I mean, it, so, so you're it's not choosing like a, at some point to yeah, it does actually to believe that the historicity makes it more valid. 
And the and the Christian and Protestants choose to believe that the authority of the Bible makes them more valued. And the Catholics believe that the um, that the influence of the Pope makes them more valued. So how are like they all feel like the same thing? Like people trying to lean on something. there's authority somewhere. Right. So yeah. they're trying to lean on a crutch that doesn't isn't as strong as they. What have. I would ask and Jesus would say your rules of men, right? <laughs> like fuck your rules. What, what, of what men. I would what I would ask to, to your to your point, what I would ask a Protestant is where does your Bible come from? Right. Where well, did it come from? And then, so that's yeah, all exactly. the same. So I think all of those are I I. I Think all of those are weaker than people put their weight on to. Sure. Um, so of those things, and, and I, I've looked at all those things. And and by the way, I actually have a lot of affection for Catholicism, and in a lot of ways, I'm much more comfortable in a Catholic church just because of my upbringing. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But but Chuck and I are sexual I know, survivors, so we, I know. Wouldn't, we wouldn't feel comfortable. No, I, I get I'm making it. jokes. No, there's something real to that. Like this the way they no, treated I, yeah, that thing. I, it's like, I, oh I well, it. you know. Just go over there. No, I... You repent and say your rosary or whatever the fuck it is. That's one of the reasons why I don't think I could ever be Catholic is because they don't protect the most vulnerable people, you know, children. But, but, uh, sorry, Misha, but, um, what was I saying? Oh, uh, but, but of those things, when you look at history, what makes the most sense to me is apostolic succession and having that, uh, that, that claim to a history you can trace back. Literally, right. like you can chase it back. They have the same thing in in uh, Islam, and it's probably stronger in Islam than it is. Uh, it's pretty. Da- it's uh, if you spend some time in it, it's pretty damn amazing. Um, Was Islam seventh century, eighth century, sixth? I think. But yeah, I think it's seventh. Is it seventh? Okay. So, so Christianity's older, and you. Uh, when you, yeah. when you, but I mean, in terms of accuracy, so why not? Why not Judaism? Then that's older. Yeah. Yeah. Because of Jesus, man. <laughs> Jesus is a Jew. So, Jesus is a he's a brown guy. Because of Jesus, he's a brown so, guy with curly hair. So here's where, so here's where I come from in Judaism is um, I Jesus was Jewish is Jewish, um, and I come from the perspective that Jesus is Messiah. Messianic age has come and is going to come again. He is the fulfillment of prophecy, and so you know the Old Testament holds true, the New Testament holds true. But I consider myself Jewish in the same way that Jesus's disciples turned apostles were Jewish, mm-hmm. um, and it's just a continuation of the Jewish faith. Like, right. I see Christianity as um, <clears throat> as uh, Gentiles coming to faith post Jesus, and my faith. Coming from my family's heritage and going through where I've come through um, as just a continuation of Judaism into the New Testament. That's, right. that's where I guess, And I agree. I, I agree it. with you on that. And that's kind of where it's the story, how that's, that story continues to unfold mm-hmm. from the Old Testament to the New and and how we're you know how we're doing life today. Right. right? Uh, we're a long way from Hegel, but the problem might <laughs> <laughs> Let's throw some Hegel in here. Bringing it back to bringing it back to preservation and bringing it back to this um, this serving class and this master class and and holding on to preservation, holding on to the status quo in terms of Judaism where I see it. Um, I mean, the ritual, the tradition has literally word for word been the same. For thousands of years, Torah is handwritten, hand copied exactly, you know, um, word for word. Right. And so it, it does not change. And it's read in the same rhythm, in the same pattern, in the same liturgy 
um, and has been for a very long time. And for me, I think part of the reason why I take comfort in that is because over the past several thousand, several thousand years, they keep trying to wipe us out. Like, you know, they keep trying to wipe out that tradition. They keep trying to wipe out the, you know, all the Jews. And it's obviously still an issue just based on what happened this last week. It's offensive. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, (coughs) different people take offense to Judaism for different reasons. And that's, you know, that's their beef. That's their thing. But where I come from for for preservation and, and where I take value in that ritual and value in that tradition is knowing that still haven't wiped this out. <laughs> right. And I'm really grateful for that. And knowing that, you know, my ancestors who were killed in Auschwitz um, and Dachau, like, they're gone. I'm still here. And I can still read Torah. And I can still teach my children the prayer at Hanukkah. And I can still teach them how to make latkes, which I know Jesus didn't eat latkes. He didn't have potatoes. But, <laughs> like, these are still, these are things that are important to me for that element of preservation. For me, it's about continuation. I don't want to be wiped out. I don't want to be gone. Right. And that really scares me. And that come, for me, that comes down to an element of fear. And that preservation issue for me and, you know, that, that master, whatever master class, um, is really about fear. Right. Oh, interesting. So, and yeah. that's, so that's great that you went there because wow. a lot of what we've been talking about is, is uh, logic level yeah. reasons. Yeah. And, and, as we've discussed a couple of times on this, those are ultimately kind of meaningless because they don't actually touch on on why you want to. They don't touch sure. on desires. It's they're, not the heart. They're justification. The heart thing. They're justification <laughs> for your desires. They're sure. not actually desires. Sure. Um, so yes, yeah, so but the the desire to preserve it is a real. Like we were talking about in the last episode, the the red dress scene in the Matrix, right? And Morpheus says. These people who aren't ready to be unplugged yet will protect that system to their death in some cases right. because they're so ingrained in it. They're so dependent and on it. It's, Preservation it's of the system gets yeah, fear. Right. Is, is there so a fear paramount of, emotional fear of what? I've got, I can't, don't even ask me that question, Derek, because you know, what, what I want to believe it's just night and day. It's like sun comes up in the morning and that's just the way it is. That's. But when we get into faith-based stuff, that's what I said in the you know the, the genesis of this project. This, this is all just faith-based stuff ultimately. But it but it rocks our meaning and our purpose and our. I don't see, I, I don't see my attraction other. to roots being fear-based. I have to think more about that. I, maybe there's comfort in it for sure. Maybe there's a fear element in longing for comfort. I have to think about that because I just see it as a longing for. Um, just connection, something beyond myself, something deep, something yeah. historical. Intimacy is that intimacy is a big one. Yeah, mystery is a big one. Yeah. Beauty is a big one. Um, so, and you, but I, I see you fear. That's interesting. I see you struggle with some of orthodoxy. Oh, without question. Because without question. Because it's not. <laughs> is it because it's not giving you that as much depth as you want? Or what? Why? Where do your struggles come from? Not from a logical standpoint, from from a desire. What desires is it not fulfilling? Oh, geez, man. So it's like this. This is the best analogy I can give you. Okay, uh, I'm a, I'm a, I, I breathe postmodern air. I'm I'm fairly li- liberal in my views. Most Orthodox Christians in North America are going to be 
by and large Protestant convert. So there's a lot of residual kind of baggage from that shit that happens there. Um, this is the best way I can describe it to you. Is, You're a recovering Protestant. Is if, if, if my first <laughs> if my first love was a marriage to a woman who I loved. But she died, and I'm a widow. And then I find out all this stuff. Like, she was a real bitch. And she really wounded me, like, way worse than I realized when I was married to her. Damn, that really makes me angry. Okay, so my life goes along. And there's this beautiful, exotic woman. Oh, gosh, she's beautiful and exotic. And, oh, I, I want to be with her because, I don't know, what else am I going to do? And I'm attracted to her. But, man, you know... She kind of has bad breath. She has chronic bad breath. I mean, she's so beautiful. But no she's, one's perfect, Joe. She's got bad breath. I, <laughs> I want to kiss her, but, oh, she's got bad breath. And sometimes I don't understand her because the language barrier is, is weird. <laughs> yeah. but, but I'd rather be with her than not because she's beautiful and I, I do have affection for her. But, yeah, if I'm honest, I wish her breath smelled better and I wish I could understand her better. That's how I would describe my Eastern Orthodox faith. <laughs> I was being really honest. I'm being really honest. Right. And, and I, I do describe it kind of like the way I, I would imagine a second marriage to be from, like, that standpoint of being a widower. Because I think what I've observed from other people that get remarried, usually your second marriage is one of convenience or, like, I'd rather be with her than be alone. Right. And maybe that's part of it, if I'm honest. Um, but there is affection there, and it is like I'd rather be with her than not. So know? then what fulfills you, what fulfills that part of you that orthodoxy doesn't provide? You guys. <laughs> no. I mean, friendships, relationships, yeah, just relationships. being candid and, yeah. and, and just being able to. Being John and like that yeah, little and, kid John. And I'm not not John when I'm in no, liturgy. you're still John. I'm still John. But that little kid John can come out here or with us or off the mic there's a saying in the orthodox faith that who you are in liturgy is who you are in the world and so who i am attending liturgy is who i am not attending liturgy i mean i'm still me i'm very much me but i'm trying to be you know centered much like the way i will go about my life trying to be centered but still distracted and prone to wandering and define liturgy in that statement Divine liturgy in what statement? In that statement, that it's because that's, oh, uh, that's an identity statement. So if I'm if I'm not the same in my liturgy towards the church or towards no, it's just like like um, so so the Orthodox faith is big on sacred space. It's, it's right. like when you walk into an Orthodox church, it's supposed to be like a time machine. It's supposed to be a portal. Right. It takes you back to to another time. It just feels different in in, in the room. And it's supposed to be that. And it's not because God needs that per se. It's because we need that. We need the invitation and, and the sensory things going on with the sights and the smells and, and the sounds. And everything's just so sensory and, and sensual even. Right. Um, and it's just to, like, center you and, and evoke worship and, and to let you just be quiet and... and sort of free to just be there just be just be there and be at peace but if you if you're prone to wandering or if you're prone to distraction if you're prone to anxieties or despondencies that's still going to be there in that space you're still you but you know hopefully you're just able to be a little bit more quiet and sit with it a little better i see it's yeah that's i think sacred spaces so you said about the going back into time and that we need that so 
I should say I need that. I don't no, want to make no, a and, no, but. it's a we because the we need something to worship God. You know, we need to have some draw fulfilled something um, something relational. Maybe? No, something historical, something tangible, something a sacred space. Yeah. So yeah. I, I heard it explained like this. Forgive me, Chuck, but I, I heard it explained like this, and, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but it was like if you've ever been to the Holy Land, which I which I have, um, or if you've been to any like historical site or any sacred site, there's this real feeling of energy there. That you know, in in a certain time in a certain space, <coughs> all these things happened here. Well, if you have an ancient historical faith, you just kind of get that. Mm-hmm. You just kind of you just get it. Yeah. And that's what I'm talking about. It's that kind of feeling, that kind of longing, and that kind of space. That, yeah, right. that I think. Well, and the, what I what I guess I was going to ask or make a point or ramble um, is maybe in that particular instant, it's okay to have the self preservation for what you're doing. Oh, I think so. Because then it's you know it's you do feel more connected to God. And I think preservation can be healthy, but I don't know that it's a place to stay forever. Mm-hmm. So the, so preservation is safe, but it's also dead. It doesn't grow, right? There's no room for change or growth. It's just going somewhere that that time is killed, right? I think like I, it like it doesn't move anymore. If you it let it, grow. it can be masturbatory, right? It's, right. Well, it's. It doesn't allow for individual growth, but like there's no vertical growth from preservation, but there is lateral. Growth. So there's discovery. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, there's discovery. It. There's discovery, and there's appreciation for beauty, and there's a depth of beauty that you can continue to explore. But yeah, but there's not actual like real growth. Um, there's just growth in numbers. Because right. It's very well, there's there's more there's exploration, which is kind of a personal growth. But at some point, I feel like you most people get to the point uh, where they either stop growing where they have to push out of the boundaries of preservation. I have something weird. So I have a, in my basement. I want to come back to that, but go on. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of sacred space, because Dan, Dan uh, Hazen, when I interviewed him, he, he was talking about, he built a, it's an orthodox thing. He built a, a pushka or something like that. Oh yeah, his little uh, hermitage or whatever. Yeah, it is. And, yeah. And, and, like a, a shed thing in his backyard. And, and That's was, so cool. And I was thinking about that in my basement. So in my basement, I was told by a counselor to read the Psalms because I was really emotional. I was pissed off at God and shaking my fist at God. And he goes, you sound a lot like this guy that wrote a bunch of songs. <laughs> it's a Jewish guy named David, and he wrote a bunch of songs in this book called The Psalms. He said, try and read one of those a day. Get quiet. Get in the morning. I'm not just going to be the guy that tells you to read your Bible. No. Read the Psalms and, and re- just feel this guy's energy. Just feel where he's at yeah. in his crying out. Um, and that was really helpful for me. And what's weird, though, is my basement still, to this day, it feels a little bit like sacred space. Mm-hmm. Right there in front of the fireplace, especially in the winter. But maybe that was the time I was going through this, yeah. too. You know, having a fire going. I've got my, you know, the, the, the just cold basement floor. This dusty old shitty chair that smells like cat piss. And, and you know, but that place for me... There was some discovery there, I think, and that's why it feels like it really feels like sacred space to me because <coughs> I did some work there, maybe. Sure. Or uh, 
that it feels like that Pushkar, whatever he was he was talking about. It's still kind of I still go down there and I. That's, yeah, and that's fair. Uh, but would you change it? Yeah, I, I, I have. I've I've moved my ways bench. Preserved it. <laughs> I preserved it. It is still the same. It is weird though. Like I don't know if I want that chair moved because the chair is still sitting there in that area. But I'm okay with it. My wife put boxes on it, and I don't care. And so I moved my weight bench over, and sometimes I'll just sit on the weight bench and I'll meditate and pray because it's quiet down there, especially early in the morning. There's nobody else is up, and I'm I'm just quiet in that space. But yeah, I, you know, I've moved it around. I could probably do it somewhere else. Well, I think there's, there's something to the other chair. What I was going to say is, I think there's a way to keep a rootedness and to keep things historical. It's kind of like this has worked for thousands of years. Well, but what, <laughs> for yes, these folks. yes, but yeah. everyone's path is different. Everyone's journey is different. So within the sameness of the tradition, the traditional elements of the way things are practiced. Right. Everyone's path on that is different. Everyone's going to have different struggles right. along that path. Even though the path is is the same or has similarities to it, your experience on it is going to be different. And I think for me that kind of changes that preservation element a little bit, just knowing that, uh, yes, the path might look the same, but it's going to be relative to my experience with it because I'm going to engage that my own way. That That kind of... I don't know, mitigates or undermines a little bit of that, the negative side of that preservation thing you're talking about, if that makes any sense. And there's no way to get to an ideal. Sure, yeah, so, <laughs> right. And, and, <laughs> right. And the majority of our life is simplifying things and making, uh, stripping things down to simpler terms so we can handle it. Yeah. No matter what yeah. we do. Oh, yeah. Um, but, uh, but I think there's value in having you know in examining that and to to twist Socrates's famous phrase the examined life is worth living instead of him saying that unexamined life is not worth living which is a bullshit statement but the examined life is worth living um, and so and and I think that it is very easy in a preservation system to stop examining because it because it you know what was did you ever listen to Keith Green right uh from the 70s Jesus movement stuff my dad, I grew up with that and he talked right. about falling asleep in the light mm. like like you just get like it's safe and it's warm and it and it is kind of dead and nothing changes so you just kind of Johnny Cash had that old song roll uh, yourself to sleep yeah you're so spiritually minded you're no earthly good <laughs> that's a good one <laughs> in a song like that yeah um, that's true so figuring out how to when I think of preservation I think of I think of it more the stakes are higher for the people in leadership or the people that are completely bond to the system where their livelihoods attached to it. Whereas I would say, uh, you know, th- this is the way I engage my faith. This is the way I worship. Uh, but, you know, I-, I don't know. Like, I don't need to toe the line so hard that my right. bills aren't going to be paid if I. Right. You know. Right. And that's where I would say you matter. You know what? You fucking matter. You- Derek, you matter. Wherever sacred space you set that shit up, the tangible relational aspect of all that is you matter. And you matter to the creator of the universe, who you sit in front of in whatever fucking space you're in, that you you matter, you know? Right. We, I don't think we appreciate that enough. Like even, I remember the church lady on Saturday Night Live, that was one of his, you know, because he would parody that kind of conservative hyper evangelical and and the church lady would and there's because it's funny because it's true because they'd shit on that a little bit like oh we really like ourselves don't we chuck you know 
You mean Slay Satan? You know who else likes that? You know who else really likes you? Satan, you know? Or in the even modern day, there's the show Lucifer. And the, the Lucifer character in that show, he's sort of like the devil who's going through therapy. It's an interesting paradigm. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, but his character comes upon someone that he really doesn't like. And he asks them, so what do you desire? Tell me about your desires, my friend, you know? And that's that shitty little way of dumping on the self and the sacredness of your Omago day. And we don't get that. And I think the preservation in religion today is to find a way to shit on that so that people can be addicted to my fucking system. Come to my fucking church. Come to my denomination. And forget about yourself, which is another egoic thing. Like, if you join my tribe, then you're cool. You know, I mean... I think the ego and the spirit and understanding that paradigm is so important because a lot of this religious shit is just feeding some part What do of our things ego. look like without an element of preservation? Or I, I, I don't know. I mean, because I would employ rootedness history. Yeah. That's what I would evoke for something that's, uh, for lack of a better word, I don't like the word, but like it has some kind of authority to it or some kind of weight to it. Um, but if it's your pastor, your denomination, the church you go to, um, like what? What would it look like if if there weren't that preservation element? It would it, it would just be a bunch of freewheeling. I don't know. I maybe think, I think without a preservation system, it's difficult to tell what has value because yeah. constantly. Yeah, yeah that's constantly going back to that stage one. Stage one is important, right? It's yeah. constant. It's a constant state of creation and destruction. Like yeah. you know, trying to get to some goal, but not necessarily knowing what that goal is without it. Without but it. But do they know what the element. goal is? Goal is. Or they just make, or do they just make the goal up a hundred years ago, and nobody's actually going to get there? But at least it's something to chase. Mm. I think that again, roar, roar coming up in this conversation is that that divine dance with the Trinity. We're all sitting in front of the Trinity, and he's got that old painting, and it's like a mirror. I like have that icon. Table. I, I, I have that icon in, yeah. my, in, in my prayer yeah. corner. It's uh, the ribble of icon of the Trinity, yeah. and that was one of his teachings. Is is uh, it's this icon of, of uh, well, it's really it's the hospitality of Abraham, but it, it's it, it's the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And one of Richard Rohr's teachings, he has the icon in his office, is that um, it, historically, when the icon was painted, there was a mirror there because it's like when you gaze at the icon, you, you look into a mirror and you see the fourth member of the Trinity being yourself, which is yeah, kind of an interesting, beautiful way to. Yeah. To think about it, but it's not just yourself. It's not your ego self. No, it's that, it, it, it's it's just that idea little kid. That, and I think Misha touched on it really well with the fear, because I think the little kid in us is afraid. Prayer is the is, adult it, is the system. The adult is maybe the preservation. Uh, 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 one idea of prayer that he articulates well that actually is in the Orthodox faith is is you know when you pray, it's not just you praying to God, but it's, it's God looking at you and gazing yeah. on you. That, yeah. That's an element of it as, as well in that kind of mystery way. So, even, okay, back to Hegel. Um, <laughs> long well, and, I know that that really ties into this. Uh, later in that article that I post, he really kind of eventually, you know, builds and builds and builds and get to the point where he, he talks about all these different consciences. And the the one of the last consciences he talks about is getting to the social conscience, hmm. where like the I is we and the we is I type of thing. Uh, but he also talks a lot about a balance within that, and that the I needs to be prevalent, and so does the social conscience. Hmm. And if you're just socially conscious, conscious, um, 
you lose your identity mm-hmm. as an individual. Interesting. And, and you kind of get trampled and stopped and, and lost. Like, you kind of evaporate if you're fully if you're fully balanced into the social conscience. Yeah. And, uh, but at the other I've end... I've talked to a lot of lost professional religious people in the last <laughs> ten years. So true. And, uh, but on the other end, if you're fully individualistic, um, uh, you start to... Uh, you know, you just kind of suck into yourself... And, and and there's just there's infinite emptiness within the individual feeds the ego right well, and, so and there's just no there's nothing firm within that but some but if you can balance the two um, there seems to be some firmness in that but but there's no it's a it's a shifting teeter totter right it's a shifting balance well, I, I hate to be such a fanboy because he comes up so much but Richard Rohr offers a really good model for it within his own life because I've listened to him like how is this guy a Catholic <laughs> well, <laughs> right. he, well he's a Franciscan which is you know a little bit different I mean he's still Catholic but yeah. it's a different or you know, mystical wing. Yeah, it's yeah. a different wing within within the Catholic Church but I mean I've heard him describe it that you know this is home base like it's okay to be you. It's okay to be the you that you are, to ask the questions that you have, and to the and to live your life. But but the, the rootedness that I'm talking about that that I you know embrace that's home base. So so be you, but have home base. I, I think is that I kind, kind of. of I had the same analogy. I didn't know that you said that. But yeah, I had the same analogy uh, with a friend I was talking about the other day about how my Christianity. So I'm exploring the idea that I can believe whatever I want to believe, and so I'm exploring. I'm the master of my own beliefs. I get a, nobody, you know, ultimately that's, that decision of what I believe is mine and other people. You don't have that devil of the pitchfork poking right. in the ass. Forcing me, so, You're going to go to hell if you don't believe. So the responsibility to believe what I believe is mine, but also the freedom to believe whatever I believe. Yeah. Like I can believe whatever I want at any time. But my Christianity is my home. So, so if it's, you know, if I'm going exploring and I'm going to encounter all of these other beliefs, I still need a place where I can come back and just settle, home you know, base. and yeah, and, and relax important. and be safe. And it's important to you to preserve that space, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. But but I but it's important for me to to preserve that space, but not but also to leave my house, mm-hmm. right? sure, and leave my house often, and leave my house in different directions, often. and engage the other, right. And try and does that leaving your house ever look like um, going places that are incongruent with your home base? Yeah, that's that's. I mean, that's the idea. That's the idea of freedom uh, within your beliefs. And so, and that's that's where my. So I, I Arthur was asking me to describe my my philosophy because we you know talked about humorous nihilism and all that stuff, and I kind of left that a long time ago. And, but I think the thing that I cl- clung to the most is saying that I've landed on a philosophy of incongruency, of flexibility, of because because n- just embracing the assumption that nothing will be perfectly congruous. Mm-hmm. So so it doesn't matter. So, so is dogma important? Uh, maybe for a couple of minutes to explore. <laughs> <laughs> right is home base. <clears throat> It's not even that. I don't think dogma is home base. I think um, I think dogma is yeah. It's a it's a it might be close to home base. It's a place that I go every once in a while, and I, sometimes I walk through dogma as I'm exploring. Uh, but yeah, but I, <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> I step in my backyard and I get a little dogma. 
but yeah, so and so that's that's and so giving myself because I have the assumption that everything nothing is the assumption that nothing is congruous that gives me complete freedom to believe whatever I want because I don't have to rely on logic anymore to dictate what I believe. I can believe things that are you know at least at first blush completely contrary to each other. And who cares? Because everybody believes something that's contrary sure. to each other. There's no such thing as congruity, right? Yeah. yeah. So, so why do we keep trying, straining <laughs> for this thing that, that nobody's ever accomplished? And you could probably safely assume nobody's ever going to accomplish. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not an absolute, obviously, but it. But you could. You history has shown. You, right. <laughs> history has shown you could do that. So why not open yourself to to the possibility of doing that? But at the same time, I do appreciate my home base. And it's nice to go there and relax and rest uh, because it is a lot of work to go exploring every day. And that's why you value it is right. to that kind of rest. Okay. Right. So yeah. preservation, um, yeah, is helpful, but it's not – it's not – it's helpful in short bursts. There was a lot of that in recovery. There's a lot of just being, not doing, just yep. being and out, living every day. And I still say that. Like I live my life in 24-hour increments. Not that I say I don't. Not that I'm not planning stuff, but there's there's all this value and beauty in just living in the moment and being in relationship with the people that you love in the current moment. And how hard it is to just slow down and stop and smell the roses, so to speak. Um, Thich Nhat Han is oh a yeah, Buddhist he's awesome. teacher. And that's a lot of his stuff, man. Oh, he's it's just so about, good. It's just about being in the moment. I know you read him. He's awesome. Yeah. If we are peaceful, if we are happy, we can smile, and everyone in our family and our entire society will benefit from our peace. Just that's like gospel stuff, right? Well, that's one thing I go to where I, uh, you know, become more of a perennialist the older I get. And it, it, it's just this idea that if something – is true. It's always been true, and yeah. God's truth transcends cultures, boundaries, r- religions, cultures, customs, whatever. It, there's a transcendence to it beyond all time and all history. Yeah. And so you don't need to be so insecure about it that if a Buddhist said it, I can't affirm it. Well, yeah. why? If it's true, yeah, exactly. It, why are you insecure about it? Isn't like the blind man with the Pharisees? Like I was blind and now, now I, I see. see. Exactly. I don't got. I don't know if it was the right theology or it came out from the right teacher. Like venerate, I was blind and now I see. Like that's that's all I got. Venerate the light where you find it. Yeah. You know? Venerate the light where you find it. And fuck the system. So before we land this plane. <laughs> we touched mostly, down. Mostly, we touched down. Mostly. Mostly. Turbulence. No. I just want it to be known because um, I'm sure there are listeners that are. Just silent, wondering what the fuck you guys are talking about. <laughs> Is that what you're doing? And so that's where I'm at. Um, <laughs> that's okay. The, and I, well, thank you. <laughs> that's very thank unanimous. You. Yeah, that, John. Thank you. No, I'm not. <laughs> so, I'm not. So, <laughs> no, no so, it's okay. So I, I have really mixed feelings about <laughs> this group and doing what we're doing. I really fucking hate you guys sometimes, but I love it because I have never thought about a lot of this shit. And then it's. And I love the question. Why do you want to believe what you want to believe? Uh, because I do. My fucking parents taught me that. Some asshole standing up in front of the, <laughs> the congregation taught me that. Like, what do you mean once? That's it's just it. Um, it's it.
you gonna trust when the judge is so unjust and the jury must discuss? Say you don't look like one of us. We're gonna turn. Now the court has been adjourned and the lessons that you've learned are not as many. That is a bumper by the Interrupters. Love that. That's punk rock with a message, right? Much like punk theology, right? I know. The Interrupters. Uh, We have a Spotify playlist if you'd like to check that out. Uh, Search punk theology in Spotify for our playlist. It's where you can follow some of the bands and, yeah, you can know when they come to town. Would you like to leave a review of this podcast, man? I'm saying that again. Yes. <laughs> we're, please, we're, you, you see a trend here? <laughs> we're looking for folks to review the podcast. Punk Theology is the property of Digital Audio Project LLC, and that is responsible for its content. So there you go. Thanks for listening.